drop the gloves. After a physical altercation between Rangers teammates, Tony D'Angelo is now on his way out of town. We'll dive into the drama-filled week in Rangersland and the rough schedule ahead. We'll also chat with Rangers great and MSG Network analyst, friend of the program, Dave Maloney. No punches being thrown here, though. Next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to center ice for a special presentation. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast at the New York Post. Subscribe to Up in the Blue Seats on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your damn podcast. But if you do use the Apple, give us that five-star rating and write in a nice review. Dave Maloney, MSG Network Analyst, ESPN Radio New York color commentator, former Ranger, friend of the program, is going to join us later in the show. No Larry Brooks this week. No Ron Duguay this week. He's a little bit under the weather, but... Well, welcome in now, the star of the show, former shooting guard, number 11, Molly Walker. What's up, everybody? I always wondered what my grand intro from Jake would sound like, so I gave him my basketball number from high school. Naturally, I'm five foot three and was never going anywhere with my basketball career, but that was still kind of fun to hear. <laughs> Anywho, unfortunately, you're all stuck with me just this episode. No Ron, no Larry, just me. So I hope you don't get too sick of me too quickly because we have a jam-packed show. It was a pretty eventful week for the Rangers. Lots of drama. Like Jake said, Dave Maloney will be joining us a little later to talk about the all-too-popular topic of this team not having a captain, as well as his own captaincy. So without further ado, let's dive into this whole ordeal with Tony D'Angelo. To recap, I'm sure everybody knows what happened, but to recap, Saturday's overtime loss to the Penguins, there was a miscommunication between goalie Alexander Georgiev and D'Angelo behind the Rangers' net, which led to Sidney Crosby's game winner. Georgiev was reportedly in the tunnel, obviously disappointed about the loss, and D'Angelo cracked a snide remark to him. Georgiev clocked him in the face with his blocker pad still on and reportedly had him in a headlock, too. Our colleague Larry Brooks reported that Keandre Miller was the one to break it up. And then Tony received a call that night that he would be put on waivers. He obviously cleared waivers. So GM Jeff Gordon and President John Davidson scheduled a press conference where they said that D'Angelo has played his last game as a New York Ranger and they are currently orchestrating a trade. One thing I will say, a lot of people were pretty confused that it was Georgiev was the one to throw the first punch. And, and I can say that after talking to Georgiev 101 several times throughout his time on the Rangers, Georgiev is a, is a very prideful guy, not in a negatively cocky way, but in a proud, know what he can bring to the team and the game kind of guy. This is a player that's been in the shadows his entire time while being with the Rangers behind Henrik Lundqvist. 
He was rumored to be a trade chip for such a long time, and yet he's he's still here. And he, obviously, he's had a tough start to the season, but so has Igor Shosturkin. But Igor has been tabbed the number one by fans, the media, and and almost anybody that's a Rangers fan. So Georgiev has essentially had to deal with the chirps his entire Rangers career. So he snapped when his teammate was being disrespectful, understandably. And Jeff Gordon basically said that Tony didn't take his early season benching well when he was benched for two games early in the season after taking an unsportsmanlike penalty in the third period of the of the season opener. Jeff basically said that he personally warned Tony if his name came up in any way, shape, or form going forward that he would be gone. And after Saturday's fight, Gordon had to stay true to his word, he said. There are reports out there that there has been a league-wide interest. And I made a point to speak to an NHL team executive source about the whole situation to kind of get a better understanding of how D'Angelo is perceived in the league. And he basically said there's always going to be a market for specifically a right-handed defenseman that has proved to be an offensive weapon. D'Angelo put up 53 points last season, 15 goals. However, the Rangers will have to retain a sizable chunk of his salary. I really just don't see a trade happening any other way. The Rangers gave him a $9.6 million deal with a cap hit of 4.8 mil. There are very few teams in the league right now that can afford to take all of that on, especially with the flat salary cap and the financial strain that the league is under because of the pandemic, hence why he cleared waivers, plus the off-the-ice issues that come with him, evidently. The Rangers are going to have to not only retain a good part of his salary, but I believe they'll have to throw in a few sweetener picks too. This team executive said the fact that he cleared waivers, which is essentially the team saying, take him for free, you just have to pick up his salary, is very telling. This source also has a personal relationship with Steve Eiserman, who drafted Tony with the Lightning in 2014. And this source made a point to say that Eiserman obviously recognizes talent. Naturally, he was one of the best players in the league during his time. So that makes sense. What was interesting to me was a particular statement Eiserman made about Tony in an interview back when he drafted Tony, and, and I'd like to read it to you. So, quote unquote, time will tell. Ultimately, we believe in the boy. He's 18 years old, and he's acted in situations that are unacceptable in society today. We believe he's a good kid, and we're going to give him the opportunity, but we're going to hold him to the expectations of all of our players in Tampa. Any improper conduct won't be tolerated, but he's 18 years old. I was 18 at one point and did a lot of things that wouldn't be considered acceptable today. Kids change and we expect him to change. We believe he'll change and grow. So again, for people that need a recap, Tony D'Angelo had two suspensions while he was in the OHL for violating the league's diversity, harassment, policy, and one of them included sending a racial slur over at one of his teammates. So naturally, Iserman felt compelled to acknowledge the fact that they knew that Tony had a history. But again, he was 18 at the time, and he was just a kid and still learning, and that they expected him to grow. Obviously, there hasn't been any public incidents of something to that extent of racial slurs at teammates or anything like that. But clearly, this incident with Georgiev proves that he is still a little bit on the immature side and still trying to navigate his way through the league and through his maturity issues. So even Iserman knew he had some growing up to do and had some maturity issues that he needed to work out. But then there's this question that I'm going to leave you guys with because I've just rambled on for a little 
literally 20 minutes, it felt like what team is going to take on a player who stirred up a fight with a teammate and not have a PR nightmare on their hands? Well done, Molly. Molly Walker <laughs> and Jake Brown here. Bonnie and Clyde taking over with Ron <laughs> Duguay out. You know, since we last left, obviously a lot of drama, but there were a couple of good sprinkles that happened. You know, we dropped the show Thursday and then Alexis Lafreniere said, Bonjour, Monsieur, Sacre Bleu. He had a, the, the game winner in overtime uh, for the Rangers last Thursday. And, you know, what a start. We talked about where the hell is this guy? He shows up with a big goal Thursday. Overtime went over the Sabres. Then the Rangers lose Saturday in overtime to the Penguins. And that was the D'Angelo saga night. And then a win over the Penguins on Monday. So it's been a rocky road. You know, that, that win last week with Lafreniere, Molly, was huge because it, it stopped a, a losing streak of four games. So they stopped the bleeding. The schedule ahead is very rough for this team. A lot of teams, you know, above them in the standings in the East, and it's not going to get any easier for a team that is in last place with eight points at 3-4-2. and two. For sure, that Alexi Lafreniere goal was huge. Obviously, monkey off the back, and one thing I will say is – Colin Blackwell. I mean, who had him on their Rangers bingo card having points in his first three games as a Ranger? I mean, that was absolutely huge for the team, huge for Colin. And unfortunately, he's out right now with an upper body injury day to day. But I mean, I'm sure he's going to stay in the lineup as soon as he's healthy or ready to come back. That'll be really exciting for him to continue to build off of what he was able to do in his first couple of games as a Ranger. Um, it was a picture perfect. Perfect pass to Alexi Lafreniere. I mean, an absolute thing of beauty. So that was very enjoyable, and I'm sure you all enjoyed it as well. Like you said, Jake, the first win over the Penguins, they had lost to them all three, all the three previous times that they played them, pulled it out amid all the noise, amid all the drama, and to avoid losing six of their last seven games. Penalty kill looked phenomenal, was their strongest point all game, and it had to be. They took a slew of penalties, some of them really silly ones, which I think is, is an area of this team that they need to focus on. I know Kevin Rooney scored his second goal in as many games as, as well that game. Who would have thunk it? Chris Kreider stepped up on the power play. Artemi Panarin with the empty netter. It was just an all-around gutsy win, especially amid everything that was going on around the team. And it's just, it was a much needed morale win. <laughs> Quinn was beaming with pride uh, in the post-game interview. It was it was their most important must-win game of the season, in my opinion, especially with everything going on, like I said. If they lost that game, it, it could have been detrimental to their team morale and such. And like you said, Jake, this upcoming schedule with the Caps, the Bruins, the Flyers is going to be treacherous for this Rangers team. I really don't even know how else to put it. I mean, this, these three teams are at the top of the East division and uh, Dave Maloney talks about it later in, in the show, how all three of these teams are Stanley cup contenders as well. So we're really going to get to see where this Rangers team stacks up against some of the best competition in the league. And it's really going to be a measuring stick. And it also could, you know, put them in their place really, and, and let them really know where they stack up in the league. And it's going to be a learning experience, but also if, if they can come away with a couple of wins here, it, it's going to be really, really important for them going forward with them trying to secure a playoff berth, I guess I should say yeah and it's gonna take a, a major uh, comeback here from uh from last place so capitals tonight thursday 
before Jake turns 30 on Friday, <laughs> send, send your gifts to Astoria for the big 3-0. And then Monday against the Islanders, who are right there in the basement with the Rangers. Who would have thought that? Uh, we knew they'd be closed. We didn't think they'd be in the basement. And then the Bruins on Wednesday before we reconvene for the next episode of Up in the Blue Seats next Thursday. So they got two against the Bruins. Um, after that. Now, another story here with the Rangers, Molly, is injuries. So many guys right now, day-to-day are hurt. Capococco is on the COVID-19 protocol list. Kind of take us through this injury report and this COVID protocol list thing exactly. Sure. We have Filipino upper body still day-to-day, which obviously is is the most not ideal situation for this team. He was doing so well. We talked about it. I think it was last episode. Jack Johnson is still day-to-day with a groin injury. Colin Blackwell, like I said, upper body still day-to-day. Was just getting in a groove, but I'm sure he'll be right back in the lineup. I think Quinn said seven to ten days, so I think we're nearing the end of that, which is a great thing because he was really going and, and really doing things for the team. So, We'll be looking forward to getting him back in the lineup. And yeah, Capocacco was on the COVID-19 protocol list. It was only for a mere two days. And I saw there was a lot of questions about if he was okay, if he had tested positive, you know, why was he on the COVID-19 protocol list? So I'm here to calm everybody down, especially the fact that he came off the list after two days, he's going to be in the lineup against the Capitals Thursday. So it, it was definitely wasn't a positive test. Whenever a player is put on the COVID-19 protocol list, it doesn't necessarily mean he tested positive. It could have been an inconclusive test and he had to wait to test negative a certain amount of times. I believe it varies case to case. He could have been deemed a high risk, close contact. You know, these players are, are going home. They're going home to their roommates, their families. So the team and the league can't monitor everybody that these players are living with and such. So he could have been deemed a, a high risk, close contact to someone that did test positive or he came in contact with someone who was exposed all that jazz or the most unlikely reason he could have had to travel or go somewhere and has to quarantine as a result of that and test positive, test negative as a result. Capo is a type one diabetic and he has celiac disease. So he has underlying conditions that make him more susceptible to having a more serious COVID-19 situation. So the team is probably going to be the most careful with Capo out of everybody on the lineup. Molly, speaking of injuries, we're actually adding Sarah McCrory to the injury list. <laughs> Due to cat scratches, her cat, I don't know how you were delivering that as her cat was attacking the microphone and her face. Sarah, uh, will you be coming off the injury list day to day or week to week here? My eye is recovered. My eye is fine, but I'm currently being terrorized by a cat while we're recording this podcast. So Jake and Molly get a 10 out of 10 for keeping their composure while I'm being absolutely destroyed by this cat literally i was looking down and the cat's face was directly in front of the video camera like staring back into my soul and i was like oh my god sarah are you there cats are dangerous i mean they're scratching they're attacking no, she's high being quality nice. microphones like, she's know. being nice she's just every time i take her off the desk she jumps back on i think she's hungry so <laughs> she's just a little curious she wants to hear about the tony d'angelo saga too yeah. 
All right. Well, let's let's get off of cats. I, I hate talking about cats for too long. Um, but, uh, you know, some other Rangers news. Molly, uh, Trumbull, Connecticut legend where I lived for 10 years. You know, the guy Little League World Series. He's the hero of Trumbull and a former Ranger. Chris Drury, the Rangers assistant GM. He's saying no to the Penguins GM job. He doesn't want it. He wants to stay with the Rangers as their AHL Hartford GM. Pretty intriguing that he's turning down a job with, you know, a pretty damn good team and a good organization. It shows he's kind of got some allegiance here. Maybe he doesn't want to leave New York either. Maybe he doesn't like Permanente Brothers and, and the sandwiches over in Pittsburgh. But uh, pretty intriguing that he's staying with the Rangers, even though he's not, you know, the head honcho. For sure. I think this is a huge win for the Rangers. I mean, he the way he handles prospects and, and his eye for prospects has, has really served the Rangers well in recent years. I mean, if you look at their farm system, they have a, pr- a pretty loaded farm system, and that is a, a testament to Drury for sure. I'm pretty sure that Drury and his family are are very well established in New York and they're comfortable. And he, I mean, obviously the Rangers are also a great organization to work for. So I, I think it came down to just Drury not wanting to uproot his whole life and his family and go out to Pittsburgh. And yeah, maybe it could have been a sandwich thing. I mean, maybe I'm a little biased. I think the food in New York is next to none. So uh, I think that this is just a, a huge win for the Rangers to get to keep him on because he really has done a tremendous job with their prospects and and forming this the prospects in their system i guess i could say nobody tops new york food now we'll be making the trek to new jersey your hood over the week for the birthday weekend <laughs> uh to the borgata and then the chart house some fancy restaurant overlooking the water so we'll see if new jersey compares to new york now speaking of former rangers there's one that had something to say on twitter who's uh recovering well listen up what's up guys checking in from a snowy new york city it's been a month today since uh, since the surgery, and uh, I feel good. Good energy, moving around. I hope you guys are well. That would be the king, Henrik Lundqvist, who is spot who is sporting a uh, a pretty nice pea coat and a uh, looks like a hat that he might have got from Alexis Lafreniere. Um, <laughs> what what are, what are those top hats called that he was wearing? Berets. Beret. Yes. See, I'm, I'm clearly not <laughs> cultured enough. But uh, good to hear Henrik is doing well here because you know a lot of people think that his career might be over now, but it's good to hear that he's at least recovering pretty you know fairly quickly here. For sure. One thing to say is that his fashion sense is still on point. That is not up for debate. And yeah, it was so great to hear that he's feeling well, that he's doing well. I mean, he had a serious, serious heart, open heart surgery. And I obviously have never had any crazy surgery like that. So I can't even imagine what undergoing that kind of serious procedure is like, but he seemed healthy. He seemed in good spirits. And obviously that's all anybody could ask for. And I'm sure a lot of Rangers fans were really excited to see that and and really gave them some peace of mind that we might be able to see him on the ice again someday. So fingers crossed. I, I really think it would be so important to his career, getting to skate one more time, getting to be in nets one more more time so we'll see what what happens yeah it'd be cool to see him potentially compete for a title obviously he didn't win one here that's the one thing he's going to check off the list so maybe you know if he does go back to the capitals next year maybe i mean rangers fans don't hope so but you know (laughs) hopefully he does have a chance for a title all right let's wrap on this we got one question from twitter molly from at beloved underscore revels jason weston wonder who's coming back to the lineup since smith looked extra banged up blackwell and Cheadle are still out cackle on the protocol list johnson also out maybe 
And we have a game tomorrow. It was a great question. The Rangers defense is now severely depleted with Tony D'Angelo gone, Jack Johnson with a groin injury, and now Brendan Smith out after a collision Monday night against Pittsburgh. It's likely that Anthony Potato remains in the lineup. Quinn said he was happy with his performance, especially considering the team was down to five defensemen after losing Smith. And Potato hasn't played in a real game in a while because he's been on the taxi squad to start the season. So I expect Potato to stay in the lineup. And the next defenseman the team will likely look to is Libor Hayek, which a lot of people could argue he should have been put in ahead of Potato, maybe even ahead of Jack Johnson. He's 22 years old. He's six foot two, left-handed D-man, and he has 33 NHL games under his belt. And I know the last two seasons he was with the Rangers was kind of riddled by injury. So he, he really never had a, an opportunity to get going at all with the Rangers, but he's still coming into his own, but obviously needs the experience to do that so i think this will be a really good opportunity to get him in and, and see what he does with the opportunity well there it is folks half the show is done we we, we knocked it out of the park molly but <laughs> we still got another half of the show with friend of the program former ranger the youngest guy to ever wear that c on his jersey as a ranger the number 34th ranked ranger of all time espn radio new york rangers color commentator it's the great dave maloney next on Up in the Blue Seats. All this talk of the Rangers needing a captain made us think of the guy who was the youngest player to serve as captain for the Blue Shirts at a mere 22 years old. He played parts of 11 seasons on Broadway, leading the 1979 team to the Stanley Cup Finals. He's now the ESPN Radio New York Rangers color commentator, MSG network analyst, and personally, one of my favorite smiling faces to see around the team. It's the one and only Dave Maloney. Dave, thank you so much for joining the show. Always great to have you on. Since we're on the topic of captainship, it's been a topic of conversation since Ryan McDonough was traded in 2018. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the concept of being a captain and why this Rangers team needs one or doesn't need one. Well, first off, it's nice to speak with you, Molly, and thanks for having me on. And, and uh, I know Ron's not participating today, so it makes this a much more pleasurable experience. So, <laughs> that, that being said, uh, hey, listen, there's a couple things about, you know, the role of captain has taken on such a, uh, you know, such a bigger kind of, Thing over time here, and particularly in New York, given what Mark Messier was able to do and win the cup, right? So you go back, gosh, I can't even count how many years ago it was, but you go back at that time, and it was the role has always been specific to hockey, and, and really it's kind of a unique role to our sport. It was always kind of a you were thought to be a liaison between the coach and the players, and you were, you were the one that could either talk or scream at the referees. <laughs> Without getting in too much trouble, and there was a certain, you know, when I was selected by Fred Shiro, and and actually Phil Esposito had a big hand in it. We had a really nice group of of young and old. You know, there was Carol Vadney, and believe it or not, JD, who was only 25 or 26 at the time, and Walter Kachuk and Steve Vickers, guys who had been around a little bit, but the bulk of the club was young, and in a lot of ways. It was like, you know, a little bit like what the Rangers are now, although there haven't been enough guys outside of Chris Kreider, or not enough, I'm not sure that's the right word. Um, there haven't been many guys beyond Chris who have been here long enough to really kind of get a feel 
of first of all what the range of culture is they have to establish all that stuff so i think we're the i i thought all along uh since this kind of discussion has been part and parcel with when you're speaking about the ranges as far as captaincy i just i, I was never sure that they were ready yet to have a spokesman and they hadn't really the culture hadn't been created and it and it will continue to evolve just with the youth right and, and they need to this group needs to play together a little bit longer for the personalities, I think, to become dominant. Now, there's a couple of factors. If Zabanajad was on a longer-term contract, perhaps he'd be someone that'd be forefront. And I say all this, and you know, Molly, we're, we're around the team, but you're not we're not there, uh, you know, day in, day out, hour by hour, to really know the mechanics and what the room feels like. But I do think from an outsider's perspective that naming a captain for the sake of captaincy, I, I'm just not sure they're ready, honestly. I know Chris Kreider now is the latest name that has been bandied about. And, you know, Chris, I think this is his ninth year. And Chris has come a long way with his presence. And, and he has certainly in this early part of this uh, odd season has become somewhat of a spokesman and an honest spokesman. So I just think that, you know, until David Quinn's not the main spokesman for the day in, day out for this hockey club, then the room really, to me, hasn't evolved yet where there's a, a cap. Now, with the four alternates they have, I'm a little bit disappointed. They're not disappointed. What does that mean? I mean? It's a little bit, to me, I think there should be one of the younger guys of the four. You know, and that to me is a little bit like going back to 79, 78, 79, where I was kind of representative of what the bulk of the club was. Uh, and, and I just think that, you know, if there, even if it was uh, Houghton or Lindgren or somebody like that, just younger guys, I've been around both of those guys. And I know I did a thing on uh, draft day a couple of years ago, and Lindgren was involved with Hedl and Hayek and all those, and they all deferred to him. You know, they just—he seemed to be the guy. He's a little bit older, uh, so things like that. That without being in the room, you know, hour to hour, minute to minute, it, we're only surmising from the outside. So, uh, do I think it's imperative that they have a captain? Uh, no, unless there's somebody that jumped out. Having one for the sake of having one, I—I I, I don't know that that serves a purpose. Our dear colleague Larry Brooks wasn't able to join us this episode, but he's put out two names as potential candidates in Jacob Truba and, like you said, Chris Kreider. Coincidentally, he threw Kreider's name out there following the whole Tony D'Angelo, Alexander Georgiev drama that went on this past week. So I, I know you threw out a couple names there just now, but if you were David Quinn and Jeff Gorton demanded you to pick a captain right this second, who would it be and why? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, again, I, I, I've never been uh, not willing to have an honest answer. I, I, my honest answer, was I, I don't know enough about this group. I really don't. And Jacob, Jacob Truba, I think, has played with more authority on the ice than he did a year ago. So he's become more of a, a presence for them on the ice. But I just, I, I honestly haven't been around the room around guys long enough and and the thing is you know this season is so odd because we're not you know because of the uh covid uh protocols uh we don't we're not privy to just you kind of get a feel like talking to guys right on ice i think your your captain has to be you're going to be a better captain the better you play and i remember i remember uh i was speaking at one of the ranger alumni things and we're talking and 
Chris Drury had been captain, but he had he had knee issues towards the end. He found it very hard to be a captain when he was hurt and in and out of the lineup. So it's I think it's imperative that your your captain be a good player. You know, I mean, I was a better player when I was getting points, playing a lot, and you know, you know, where you really do you lead on the ice in a lot of different ways. So, I mean, to me, Truba certainly has has stepped up. But yeah, you know, that is an expression I hate, by the way. But uh, he's he's a guy that seems to be asserting himself, seems to be more comfortable, and yeah, he, he's at a good age, and he's on a long-term contract. So he continues to progress as uh, as a factor and continues to be a factor on ice. I, I think that he would be a legitimate concern. Thinking back to your captainship, especially being so young, I'm sure that came with its own set of obstacles. But what was the toughest part about being a captain? The, the toughest part was, you know, for me personally, because of my personality, and particularly at that time, I was, wound, you know, competitively wound a little tight. <laughs> You know, I was pretty, pretty demanding and not so much. I think when I get wound up and crossed the line, kind of got myself in trouble, you know. And and again, I I think also at that time, the management, you know, Freddie was, I I only probably talked to Fred Shiro probably five times over the course of the two years, two and a half years that he was around. Um, He was, he was a distant figure. Mike Nicolak was the assistant coach, and he we would have a meeting once a month with you know JD would be involved, Phil, uh, Walter Kachuk, you know some of the old Pat Hickey was involved. Pat wasn't that much older, but I, I thought that's the thing for me was the toughest thing as I look back now that I got wound a little tight, and I, sometimes I might have ruffled some feathers, <laughs> which um, which you know maybe feathers needed to be ruffled, but I, I think if I was little that's the other thing too i i think you know unless the guys have been around a little bit it takes a special young guy to be a captain you know i i certainly don't regret the time that i was in that position but i i wish i was either had a little more guidance uh from our work with management and have been a little bit older <laughs> you know i might have been able to kind of handle some situations that Uh, maybe my emotion got in the way when I was 22. Nothing wrong with passion, Dave. Uh, (laughs) Shifting gears a little bit here. um, Obviously, it was quite the eventful week off the ice, but the upcoming weeks on the ice for the Rangers are jam-packed with games against the Capitals, Bruins, Flyers, and one against the Islanders sprinkled in there. What are your expectations, concerns, predictions for this upcoming stretch? Well, you know what, Molly? I think I was looking at a schedule. I think 10 of the next 11 games are against Flyers, uh, Bruins, and Caps. And, and and to me, the team that's a little bit mystifying as to why they're not in the mix are the Islanders. So uh, you are going to find out. We're going to find out really where this Ranger team or franchise is at the moment of its development. And I, I think there was a fairly rude awakening last uh, summer in the bubble when they played against a team that had had been like a couple of playoff rounds experienced. And it's a whole different deal when you take when you move up into the competitive, you know, when you're a legitimate playoff concern, let alone a Stanley Cup concern. So I, I think it'll be a very, very telling time where they are. And, and I suspect it's going to be a very uh, rough goal. I do. I watched uh, Boston and Washington play uh, the last two Washington games. And there are some things when you look at the Rangers just they need time. 
just need time. They're, 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 they're big, they're heavy teams, they're skilled teams. And, and I, I think, you know, you talk about heavy, not only weight-wise and strength-wise, so a kid at 18 or 19 is going to be a different player at 21, 22, different player just from his maturation. But it's also, too, when you do get experience in the league, if it's 200 games, 150, whatever the number is, you know, your heaviness kind of uh, facilitates itself in, in just that ability to know what you're doing, know how to play, know how to compete. And the only way you can get there is by doing it. And the only way you get there by doing it is competing with the best in the league. So 10 out of the next 11 are going to be the best in, the, in the, their conference for sure, as early returns have shown. And I, I think you could make a case that all three are legitimate cup contenders. And that's, that, that's quite a battle. Hey, Dave, it's Jake here. Always great to have the number 34 ranked Ranger all time on the show here in season two uh, with our new co-host, Molly Walker. Uh, I want to take it back to your days. What was the experience like playing with your brother, Don? You rarely have brothers on the same team playing together. Did you bully him? Did he bully you? What was that relationship like? <laughs> no. no, there were we got all our bullying and fighting out of the way when we were you know, I was, I was two years older than my brother Don, and we had brother Bob that's in the middle of us. And Bob went on to be a, a doctor, so he was the smartest of the three of them. And I've got I've got another brother, my brother Jim, who uh, runs a, a landscaping company back home, and he's the richest of all of us. So <laughs> the <laughs> the uh, the thing with Don, it was tremendous because we had my three brothers. We played together on one little uh, sport team. In 1966, 67, um, my father was kind of the uh, like road manager, scheduler. My mother was in those days; she wasn't known as a team mother, but you know that sort of thing. So it was really quite a family affair. But that was really the last time. And then I left home when I was 14 to play hockey in Toronto, play junior. I did come back to Kitchener, but then I was gone at the seventh, uh, you know, uh, a couple in '74 uh, off Providence and the Rangers. So I never really ever after that uh, little season when we were much much younger, and, and really we were like Irish triplets. We we, we fought probably 60 percent of the time and and uh, ignored one another. 30% of the time, and then 10% of the time, we really recognized that we were actually brothers. So, so it was great to have the experience uh, to to play with Don. It really was. And he was a self-made player. I often think, because I was the oldest, I, I always got the, the brand new pair of skates, and Don was third down, so he got the hand-me-downs. I don't know that he, he ever had a pair of skates that fit until he turned pro and played junior, and and he just, I, you know, I couldn't be prouder of all my siblings, but particularly Don. Don was a self, he really did. A two-time All-Star he became, and he's been a very successful um, uh, hockey executive. And I do. I, I was lucky uh, to have spent the time we spent together. We roomed together on the road. And so from that standpoint, he's, you know, I got to know him probably as well as any of my siblings, and it's, it was great. It was awesome. A Ranger player, a Ranger broadcaster, and, you know, you don't have a Grammy, but we could call you a rock star dating back to Hockey Sock Rock and <laughs> yeah. and working with yeah. Phil and Ron and Pat Hickey and, and John Davidson. I mean, sold over 100,000 copies. Can you take us back to the Hockey Sock Rock? Well, that was all, uh, I said, when you win, a lot of things happen. And we ultimately didn't win uh, you know, the final Holy Grail. We lost to Montreal in the final 79. But out of that, in that 
season and through uh, Sonny Wirwin was the president of the Garden, and he was actually a Hollywood agent uh, who, you know, created the Joe Namath aura, you know, that whole deal about Namath. And, and uh, he had thought, you know, we were hunkered down in Long Beach. Rod was the only guy for the longest time that was living in Manhattan. And Sonny came in and uh, because we were a young group and we had a fair amount of charisma, there were some, there were some real characters and different things in the team. He thought we should be more involved. And one thing led to another, we go to the finals and lo and behold, you know, there was a Sasu, uh, the jeans uh, uh, commercial, the hockey sock rock was a, a record that Phil had, Phil was um, good friends with the late Alan Thicke, and that record was made uh, to raise money for juvenile diabetes. And uh, we flew out to uh, California to do the Dinah Shore show with our Sassoon jeans and things like that. And then, <laughs> and then we went to the studios and, and recorded this hockey sock rock song, which essentially at the end of the day was all Phil anyway. I, I can recognize my voice yelling in the background, but it was really, it was really quite, it, it was the result of some success and um, it was really a lot of fun. The notoriety, uh, uh, I'll never forget. It was, Ah, years later, um, one of my kids was up late, and they had a uh, like one of these KTEL record ads for you know you that you've seen all the time, and and he said, "Dad, was that you?" Because <laughs> there was a sports, <laughs> you know? and I looked at, I go, "Yeah, that was me." <laughs> <laughs> Before we let you go, Dave, I, I wanted to let you know that one of the first things Ron Duguay and I ever discussed as co-hosts was that infamous Sasson jeans commercial you guys filmed in 1979. So the question is, can you still fit into those jeans, Dave? And what was the best part about filming that commercial? Maybe not after the pandemic. We've all been eating like crap, so I don't know. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I'm probably I could probably get into the I don't know. Sure. There you go. Yeah, believe it or not, I've uh, yeah, I've kind of uh, yeah, whatever. I've lost some weight, kind of reshifted things around, so I'd be it would be close. <laughs> but the uh, well, again, the memory. I remember they. I'll never forget they did a like a like a you know a little type of documentary or whatever you call of the filming of it. So they had a crew, and then when they when they announced the record or whatever, kicked off the record, it, there was a little reception at the garden, and so they run this film, and it looked like such a Hollywood dork. <laughs> <laughs> Getting out of the limousine, I have my sunglasses on, and I'm like, oh, my God, I would hate myself if that was me. But anyway, <laughs> but it was all, it was all in front. I remember we spent, um, like, two days filming it. It was at, um, it was at a rink in New Jersey somewhere, a couple of rinks, a twin rinks in New Jersey. And then we had to redo it for another day. But all in all, it's it, it certainly, and uh, and then we made the video, and uh, that was up at Sky Race. That was fun to JD blowing on the ketchup bottle. It was so much fun. It really, you know what, now I'm talking about it. It was just, it was a time when I always uh, look back fondly. Uh, and um, in those days, there, you know, there wasn't the marketing that there is now. And uh, you know what, we were, 
we were able to do that. And uh, but at the end of the day, it all came from winning. And uh, it, it, truth be told, I traded all in for that one cup that we had to stab at in 1979. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I can't. I also can't let you, you talk about fun in those glory days. I always got to talk about Studio 54, uh, even with Ron not here. Did you witness him? Were you alongside him when he's making out with no. Cher or Farrah Fawcett on, no. on the uh, dance floor? You were never a Studio 54 guy. No, I was there twice. Uh, I was there one night, and I would say I went to the what I thought was the men's room or whatever it was. I went in there and said, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. <laughs> This is, this is not, uh, and it's funny too when Ron was working with the network. I get a lot of people. Yeah, I, I will admit, dude, dude's age pretty well, right? Yeah. And all that. So, so I would get people to say, would did you hang out with uh, Ron or Duke at all now? And I said, I couldn't hang out with that dude when I thought I had game. There's not a chance. <laughs> I'm going to be hanging out with him now. <laughs> well, Dave, it's always a pleasure to talk some hockey with you. Really appreciate you coming on. Always a friend of the show. Dave Maloney, we'll have you on again soon. Thanks, Dave. All right, all right guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks for calling. Ladies and gentlemen. That puts the icing on the cake for episode 42 the Brendan Smith edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts now and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. We appreciate your support. For Jake Brown, I'm Molly Walker. Enjoy the next week of Blue Shirts games. We'll chat with you guys again next Thursday. Stay warm, stay safe, and thanks for listening.